back to our podcast, Where Do I Know Them From? This is the podcast where we go through the entire filmography of a single actor. This season we are doing Saoirse Ronan, and we're getting so close to halfway through I can almost taste it. <laughs> I gotta say I'm excited to get further along with this project. So Elizabeth, do you want to start us off with some letterbox reviews? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I was really hyping myself up to say my name, but I'll get started with our letterbox oh, reviews. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, we gotta keep everybody on their toes. Our first one is four stars. This movie is fun. You guys just hate women. Then we have four stars. When Lady Bird and Rory Gilmore dropped out of college. (laughs) Followed by (laughs) two stars. There is a fun movie I would really like hidden in here. It's probably behind Alexis Bledel's bangs. Her bangs were so thick. Oh, those are so funny. It is Violet and Daisy, in which Sir Ronan plays Daisy. And Alexis Bledel plays Violet, right? Mm-hmm. Honestly, their names were too similar for me to actually remember them, and they never said their names, ever. <laughs> so this movie was released in 2011, as I said, at the Toronto International Film Festival. It was actually released later in 2013 in only 17 theaters, which probably explains why it made almost no money. Mm-hmm. This was a wildly unsuccessful film. It was directed by Jeffrey Fletcher in his debut film. It was also screenwritten by Jeffrey Fletcher. It's 88 minutes long, and it has kind of a stacked cast. I was excited to see it. Um, I wish that this weirdly stacked cast could have made literally any other movie together, because this one was kind of bad. Um, as I said, Saoirse is, uh, plays Daisy. Alexis Bledel plays Violet. Danny Trejo plays their handler, I think. He only appears in one scene, uh, so I'm not sure why they got such a big actor for that, but <laughs> his name is Russ. Mariana Jean-Baptiste, who we have seen before in City of Ember, plays number one, who also is a very small role. James Gandolfini plays the guy, unnamed. <laughs> he is just the guy. Uh, he, besides Sersha and Alexis, is the largest character. He's on screen the most. Uh, John Ventimiglia plays man number one. Danny Hawk plays man number four. Don't know where we went with man numbers two and three. Uh, Tatiana Maslany makes a brief appearance at the very, very end as April. She's also like pictured in some photos in James Gandolfini's house. Mm-hmm. And then Cody Horn plays Barbie Sunday who, once again, just a very minor character. Basically, this movie has three people in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, the score was done by Paul Cantillon. Uh, it was produced by Jeffrey Fletcher, once again, and also Bonnie Timmerman. And it was distributed by Cinedime Entertainment. So the plot of this, honestly, I feel like this is a sh- pretty short and sweet plot summary. It's yeah. two teenage assassins, except what they think will be a quick and easy job, until an unexpected target throws them off their plan. So our two teenage assassins are Violet and Daisy, played by Saoirse Ronan and Alexis Bledel. They accept this job because they want to be able to afford the new Barbie Sunday dress. Barbie Sunday is like a pop singer, and she's released this new fashion line, and they want to buy um, the dress in that fashion line, and so they have to accept this job. They appear to be very good assassins in that they are somewhat efficient, or at least we see them do one murder, and then that's the prologue for this movie. And they seem to be good at that one, I guess. No one gets away. But I don't know if I really like the way their dynamic works. Like, their assassin dynamic is really weird. And they take this job basically for very materialistic reasons. Which, fine, we can get into that later because I think it's an important part of the movie. Mm -hmm. But, so they take this job. The job is to kill James Gandolfini's character, the guy. So they sneak into his house. He is not there. And they sit down on his couch to wait for him to come back. And they fall asleep. This is where the plot kind of gets a wrench thrown in it because James Gandolfini's character, the guy, he walks in, sees them there with guns ready to kill him, covers them with a blankie, 
and then just sits down and like waits for them to, to wake up. He doesn't like poison them or kill them or remove them from his house or mm-hmm. run away or anything. He's just sitting there. So when they wake up, we find out that he wants them to kill him. As opposed to some other people that are coming to kill him. Yes, as opposed to some other people who are coming to kill him because he thinks that they'll give him a nicer death rather than torture. It is gradually revealed throughout the movie that James Gandolfini has committed some sort of crime because he has cancer and he wanted to die. He stole, like, a truckload of something from the mean guys who are going to come torture him and for the same reason, Violet and Daisy their agency put hit on him too throughout the whole movie we just kind of unwrap more layers on why he did this how he did this who is going to kill him pretty pretty early on in the movie the other assassins show up and violet and daisy just take them out no problems most of the movie is not spent with all three of those characters on screen like violet goes to get bullets because they showed up to kill him without enough bullets so most of the movie like the two girls are split up and one of them is with james gandolfini and one of them is not they're like off on some some side quest and just over the course of the movie, like, we learn more about everyone. We're, like, unpacking <laughs> unpacking generational trauma, things like this. And eventually, James Gandolfini dies. Unclear how. I, th- <laughs> I think that he kills himself, and Elizabeth thinks that Daisy shoots him. An important part of the plot that Alexander has not covered is that while Violet is out getting bullets, Daisy and James Gandolfini's character, the guy, become very close, and she reveals to him that she has never killed anyone. She has a gun with empty bullets. That's true. She shoots blanks. Then later, like, there's this whole tension where we think that Violet is going to find out that... Violet does find out, and she's like, I'm going to kill her, because she thinks that she's not pulling her weight and that she's a traitor for that. So James Gandolfini, like, wants her to kill him so that she can, like, prove to Violet that she's pulling her weight. Mm -hmm. But I I don't think that she does. I don't think that she actually kills him. You're probably right. I'm probably reading too much into this otherwise very bad movie. But there we go. That's that's the plot summary, is that eventually James Gandolfini ends up dead. The girls are no longer friends at the end of the movie. Uh, they appear to have broken up their assassin partnership and also their friend partnership. They go their separate ways. And Saoirse Ronan like, delivers a letter to James Gandolfini's daughter, played by Tatiana Maslany at the end, who's just kind of been a, an off-in-the-distance character of of why he feels so badly about himself. and So now you're kind of caught up on the plot. You can kind of see that we didn't care that much about the plot, and there wasn't much of one to describe. Part of that is maybe why this film had a terrible, terrible critical response, and like I said, it had embarrassingly low earnings. I think it made $108,000 at the box office after an $8 million budget, so truly, truly terrible. Critics kind of hated it. They said it was just another Quentin Tarantino knockoff, and... Honestly, there weren't enough feet in it for it to be a, no- a Tarantino knockoff, but it was very, like, Tarantino-esque vibes. It was giving Tarantino. Yeah. It's giving Uma Thurman and Kill Bill. Yeah. And also Pulp Fiction. It's giving Uma Thurman, <laughs> period. Uma Thurman, period. Uh, on the tomato meter, it has a 22%, so terrible. The Rotten Tomatoes audience has given it a slightly higher score at 34%. Metacritic, also slightly higher than that, has a 43 out of 100 but the user score gives it a 6.8 out of 10, and Letterboxd gives it a 2.8. I think that all 2.8 of those stars are for the camp. Listen, it's fine. the time has finally come where Alexandra and I disagree. I fucking loved this movie. I gave it four stars. I'll reveal before the end. I gave it four stars. I loved it for the camp. Like, it's, such, it's so bad it's good. It's hilarious. I think it's supposed to be funny. It was funny. It was like... I liked it. 
kind of bad though. As for the production, um, Jeffrey Fletcher, who we've credited a couple times as having directed, screenwritten, and produced it. <laughs> truly, truly everything about this movie is so chaotic. So Jeffrey Fletcher credits Thelma and Louise, Pulp Fiction, and Superbad as his inspiration when he wrote this. According to the New York Times, the money for the budget came from his brother's hedge fund. Stop. <laughs> oh which seems to have had elements of a Ponzi scheme, allegedly. Um, several pension funds invested in the fund and lost all of their money. So just a little fun de- fun detail for color for you guys is that this movie was maybe maybe funded by a Ponzi scheme, allegedly. Wow. Um, originally, they considered Bruce Willis for the role of the guy who's played by James Gandolfini, and I think that James Gandolfini was excellent, so I would not tolerate any recasts of him. Yeah. Also, Carrie Mulligan was originally cast as Violet. This movie would have been better with Carrie Mulligan. I think that the gay vibes would have been stronger. I really like Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, wow. I think Alexis Bledel might have been the worst part of this movie. Yes. No shade, because I am a Gilmore Girls stan since day one, but I just, there's something about the way that she played, like, the straight comedy that I just didn't really, it wasn't doing it for me. Yeah. I think that Carrie Mulligan could have been an interesting choice. I thought that Alexis Bledel did a fine job. Yeah, she okay. did. She did give very strong, like, assassin vibes. I guess. Then I guess. Maybe it was just that her hair was really dark and, like, blunt cut. <laughs> that could be the assassin <laughs> all vibes. It's all you need. It's all you need. Okay, so now that we know all about the movie, Elizabeth, thoughts? <laughs> well, I already told you that I freaking love it. I thought that it was really funny. <laughs> it was really funny. I... I don't think it was funny on purpose, though. I didn't like pretty much any of the scenes that Violet was in, but I did really like all of the scenes with James Gandolfini and Saoirse Ronan. I thought that they, like, played off of each other very well, and I did not expect that to work, because I feel like they're very different vibes as actors. Yes. But I loved their dynamic. They had really good chemistry. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I feel like this had an opportunity to be, like, a really creepy dynamic, Yes. Because, like... I was expecting creepy. Yeah, because he, like, kind of... I don't know. He really likes Saoirse Ronan's character. Sorry. Yeah. He really likes Daisy. The guy does. And he's, like, kind of, like, takes her under his wing in, like, a... It's clear he is upset about the missed connection with his daughter. And so, like, he their relationship is kind of a way to, like, patch that up. And that always has the vibe to be, like, kind of weird. Kind of creepy. Yeah. Kind of groomy. Um, but I think that they pulled it off really nicely, and I do really believe that, like, they just enjoyed each other's company. Like, they just liked each other, and they found some resolution for personal conflicts in each other. And then she, you know, even though she had to kill him, which I do think she killed him, because I think it's... Okay, listen, I would love... I think I would like the movie better if James Gandolfini killed himself. Sorry. The guy killed himself. <laughs> um, like, but... I think it's pretty clear that she kills him because we see the gun That's in her fair. hand and then we hear the gunshot and we see her face. Yeah. We don't, like, it's not like we cut and we hear the gunshot, but we don't see her while the gunshot is happening. We don't see her when the gunshot happens. It happens off screen. And he's... No, I think that we, I think that the shot is, is her face while the gunshot is happening. Like, oh, okay. We don't see her pull the trigger. But he has a gun. He's holding a gun. She's holding a gun. He's holding a gun from earlier when he shot a gun out the window. That's fine. But what I'm saying is, I think if they wanted it to be ambiguous, there would be no depiction of anybody's face on the screen. I think we would get it from Violet's perspective. We would hear the gun in the other room if we wanted it to be ambiguous. But because the shot is her face and it's not surprised 
or anything like that. It's like her face, very straight, gunshot. I think we're supposed to think that she killed him. Everyone played this movie very straight, and I thought that that was really funny. Like I said, I don't think that the movie was supposed to be funny, but it was. Like everything I think about that the, the movie was, was supposed to be funny. I think that's what people mean when they say that it's like Tarantino-esque. Like, okay. Tarantino, not a funny man. However, movies inherently funny. There are no jokes in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Well, I guess there are jokes in a Quentin Tarantino movie, yeah, there but are. it's like, whatever. I thought that it was funny. Here's the problem. I don't think that it's girl funny. I think it's boy funny. I think this movie was made for men. <laughs> But it's, about, it's, but it's about women. I think it's anti-woman, actually. <laughs> like, nothing about this was like, yes, girl power. It was just these girls kill, and it's for the Barbie Sunday concert. Like, Yeah. I did think, like, since we're on the topic of the vibes, I think that this was a very cozy movie. James Gandolfini's relationship with both of them, individually and also them together, was super interesting, and I really liked it. It was, like, just, it was warm and cozy, you know? Yeah, you told me at one point that you almost thought that it should be, like, a play, because it's, like, there are so many, there are so few sets involved. Yes, there's just really the one set, and it's all dialogue. I think it might have even been better if they didn't have any of the other sets, if it was just, like, in the room. Yeah, I think it would have been better if it was a play. It felt like it was trying really hard to be artsy, but just none of the artsiness was landing for me. Like, it did feel very camp. But yeah, just a lot of the things in this movie were really eluding me, such as all the logic. (sighs) Fair. Well, I think it's supposed to be... I think that it's supposed to be um, absurdist. It does feel a little absurd. Yeah, it is kind of dumb. It's disarming. Yeah. She's like... They're both kind of giving very Holden Caulfield-esque. They're both like... Yes. Very... I'm not like other girls. Um, And like... They, I don't, I'm pretty sure that they don't say at one time in the entire movie that something is phony, but everything that they say gives the vibe of Holden Caulfield being like, that's phony, man. Like, they seem very anti establishment. Just the way that they carry themselves feels very Holden Caulfield to me. Yes. They seem very, and it's also the whole thing about like being like, they give Home Alone Lost in New York vibes. No, they don't. (laughs) Well, they're like, they're okay. Despite the fact that I think that they're supposed to be, like, 18. Yeah, there's something like that. They're giving 16, they living in an apartment by themselves. Like, they very much give child energy, not, like, full-grown adult woman. Yeah. And I think for that reason, like, I think that that supplements even more that it's, like, an anti-woman movie because they're childish, despite the fact that they're supposed to be, like, they young women. Childish. This movie just felt very anti-girl, you know? Like, first of all, they are very anti-girl, right? Because they're like, we're not like other girls. We kill people, you know? Which is, whatever, very 13 of you. But also, like, their motivations for doing it felt very anti-girl. Like, the plot felt very anti-girl. Like, they were taking this assassin job and doing assassin things just to fund their lifestyle. Which, you know, fine. If that's your motivation, whatever. It just felt like they were being made fun of for that yeah i think i think that an argument could be made that the reason that that is the plot decision is because the writer is jeffrey 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 with a g (laughs) okay don't come Uh, for him like that (laughs) there are better reasons to come for him okay so i think that the writer um may be trying to point out like almost the absurdity of assassins or trained killers as a job like oh i need this amount of money to do this thing so I'm going to go kill someone. Yeah. Like, and I think that the argument could be made that he's just trying to, like, point out that being an assassin is absurd to begin with. But I think that the that him using women's, like, frivolous shopping as a tool to do that is a little, a little anti-girl. And a lot of the ways that they, like, 
dealt with the murder was also very frivolous, right? Like, they Mm -hmm. were just like, okay, okay, let's have a quick conference with my partner. And then they came back in and they, like, shot the whole wall up and James Gandolfini wasn't even there. Like, their eyes were closed. Mm -hmm. Also, like, just, we have to give a shout out to the internal bleeding I was waiting for you to say something about the internal, more... More letterboxed reviews were about the internal bleeding dance than anything else about this movie. Really? Yes. For our listeners at home, the internal bleeding dance is when they they kill a bunch of the guys that come to kill the guy. All of the guys. Which is like four of them? Yeah. Like four or five guys? So they kill all of the assassins that are coming to kill James Gandolfini's character, the guy. And then there are a bunch of bodies on the floor. And then they they say, it's time to do the internal bleeding dance. And they jump on top of the dead bodies and, like, blood squooshes out and squirts everywhere before they clean up the murder, which they do a really bad job of cleaning up also. They just put all these dead bodies in the bathtub and they're like, oh, clean. Oh, my God. I was like, is there a plan here? Are we supposed to be dissolving the bodies? No plan. But no, no plan at all. No plan. I think generally the plot was pretty whack. A lot of the parts of it didn't make sense to me. I felt like the dialogue was the strongest part of the movie. Like you said, like the vibes were good. You think the dialogue was the strongest part of this movie? Yeah, just because it was funny. Oh, boy. Okay. Nothing else about it was good. I do think that the dialogue was important, was what made it good, yet parts of it were so, so bad. Yeah, I mean, the dialogue was whack, but also, like, it was interesting to hear. Yeah. I think that the dialogue, with the exception of the internal bleeding dance, the dialogue is what makes the movie absurdist. Yes. Nothing else is, like, they don't really use anything that, like, fantastical, no. like, visually or, like, any, it's, like, it's just the way the characters communicate with each other. And it's a lot of character, maybe that's why I like it, because it's, like, very character-driven. That's why I like the dialogue. It's, like, poorly written, but it is, it helps to drive the characters really well, mm-hmm. even though it's absurd. But, like, a lot of the plot elements, other than that, were just super strange. Like, why would James Gandolfini shoot out the window at someone? I, I don't know why they included that part other than to give him a gun, but you don't think that he needed the gun, so I I really couldn't tell you, like, what is the deal here? Also, like, his, he's supposed to be living in this abandoned building, but he has a neighbor who shows up and is like, hey, everything good in there? Like, I heard a million bullets get shot. And then she goes and she calls the police. We see the police commissioner pick up the phone, then nothing comes of it, right? Like, she doesn't check back in on them. The police do not show up. The police never come. So, truly, just a lot of the plot elements don't feel very important. Also, the whole relationship that Violet has with the other assassins, like, she runs into them once on the way there, and she, like, has a little Menti B on the way. But she also, like, when she's buying the bullets at the store while Saoirse Ronan and James Gandolfini are having their own heart-to-heart, when she's buying the bullets, she's, like, in the middle of an armed robbery, and nothing about that is important. Here's why I think Carrie Mulligan would have been better in this role. I feel like Daisy and Vi- oh, sorry, Saoirse Ronan and Alexis Bledel do a really good job being, like, cute young besties, right? Mm-hmm. I think Violet's character is supposed to be darker, is supposed to have, like, a little bit of, like, a troubled past backstory situation, and I don't think that Alexis Bledel pulls that off very well. No. And I think that Carrie Mulligan is a little bit older than Saoirse Ronan, and so that would have, like, signaled a little bit that she's, like, supposed to be, like, a mentor almost, because their vibe is really weird. It's really hard for me to pinpoint what their dynamic is supposed to be, what their dynamic is, like, any of that. And yeah. so I think that it would have made a little more sense, Violet's character would have made a little more sense 
by casting someone older or at least someone playing a little bit older. It kind of falls flat because Violet is just meaner than Daisy. Yes. And we're supposed to gather that she has a troubled backstory because she's mean. And it's like, they're assassins. Both of them are mean. Like They're definitely both having crises of identity, of like faith in their job, right? Because, of mm-hmm. course, Daisy's having a crisis of, I've never killed anyone, and this is a problem because I'm an assassin. Violet is having a much crazier conflict in that she actually killed her old partner, or we assume that she killed her old partner. And, yeah, their dynamic is super whack because, like, Daisy... Not Daisy. Violet is constantly, like acting as though she's a lot edgier because she's killed more people because she's supposed to be older. But yeah, I agree. I agree that maybe someone who was actually older than Saoirse Ronan could have been playing that better or just someone who was playing it funnier could have. Well, I think also like there's this vibe that they like look out for each other. And I think that maybe that would have been better if it was kind of like a... More of a sister like dynamic. A, like a, yeah, like more of a sister dynamic, but specifically like an older, younger sister dynamic. Like yeah. I think that maybe Violet's character should have played more of, like, a I'm looking out for Daisy type thing. Mm-hmm. But instead we just get Alexis Bledel, who's, like, usually, I don't know, she's sometimes like, well, you have to listen to me because I'm older or because I've killed more people than you. But it's like, I just don't feel like that's emphasized enough. Yeah. I think they should probably look a little different in age. And also, I don't know, I just don't buy the lone wolf act that Alexis Bledel is pushing to us. Yeah, she doesn't really seem to like Daisy that much. So maybe it's like a partnership of convenience. Maybe it's a partnership of you're the only other girl assassin that I know. Since Violet killed her old partner, she must have been kind of hunting for someone good. Also, on on the topic of the dynamic, gay, right? It like The movie both felt very anti-gay and also very like gay subtext in that like, Both of them were very clearly not into each other, but also everything about it was gay. I think that this was a movie written by a man that doesn't understand women or female friendship. Because I think that the the intimacy in this movie is not right, and that's why it reads gay. Like, they... And whatever. Women touch each other. Like, women that are friends, like, cuddle each other or whatever. But it's just, like, the way that their intimacy is written as a friendship, it, like, crosses a line... Yeah. And reads a little bit gay. I think it would have been better if it was explicitly gay. Or if the subtext was, like, intended to be there. But I think you're yeah. right, it probably was not meant to be there. I think that pretty much any time that there are, like, two women assassins that refer to each other as their partners, there's, like, the opportunity for gay subtext. Yeah. And then that plus the fact that this they're, like, so feminine and their femininity mm-hmm. is, like, so important to them. Or, like, to their character. I don't think their femininity is particularly important to them, but which is another reason that I think that it's anti-woman. Their relationship feels so close to romantic. It's such a betrayal to Violet that Daisy has not killed anyone for her, which, like, you need to tell the truth to your friends, too, but she takes it so personally. Mm-hmm. And when she tells Daisy that she doesn't trust her anymore, Daisy says, well, now you don't have anything at all, right? If you don't trust me, then you have nothing. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, like, very interdependent. Like, that's it's not a healthy relationship, but it just felt we're so close to being romantic but weren't. They never got there. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, they're not even friends. They don't talk anymore. So it felt like their their relationship was very unfulfilling for me. I really liked James Gandolfini's relationship with both of them, but not theirs together. Yeah, which is, again, why it reads a little anti-woman, because they needed, like, the guy to come in and, like, 
fix them or fix them or like make them better for each other. Here's a question for you. I don't know if you're gonna agree with this, but do you feel like the movie was a little bit of a Bildungsroman for Daisy? Yeah, because I, I think that it's less a coming of age story than it is just about character growth. Okay, that's fair. Because I think that they are supposed to be adults. Yeah. They're just younger adult. Like they're not supposed to be like sixteen year old assassins. Mm-hmm. They're like eighteen. Yeah. They're definitely not yeah. Like and I think that in coming of age stories there has to be a clear like you were a child and now you are not. And I think that at the end of the movie she's still kind of a child. I think that she kind of isn't. Like at the beginning they're very childlike, right? That's true. But then she's like Daisy comes out Andy. from her from under Violet Shadow because of James Gandolfini's character, right? He parented her out of assassinship. Mm-hmm. And then she like repairs his relationship with his daughter post-mortem. That's fair. And then she's like independent. Like she's aged out of being an assassin, aged out of being Violet's partner. She's on her own. She's independent. Okay. Here's why I don't think it's a coming of age story. Okay. I agree with what you're saying that she has grown up. She is an adult. This is, this is the marker for her between adulthood and childhood. Mm-hmm. But I feel like coming of age stories usually glorify something about being a child. And maybe there is a loss of innocence for her. Because she kills someone, allegedly. Yeah. Or at least, or she like... she sees a lot of murder. She sees a lot of death. But she saw a lot of death before that. I don't think witnessing death in this movie is supposed to age anyone. No. Is they the all other seem very chill about it, yeah. Yeah. I, I struggle to, to think of it as a coming-of-age story, but maybe I'm just small-minded. There's definitely a lot of growth. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of growth. I I am really curious kind of about James Gandolfini's character, period. I feel that he is supposed to be some sort of an archetype. Both of them feel not archetypal to me, but he feels like he could be the wizard archetype because he's really all-knowing and he's well-intentioned, but like an absent father and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't his know. character was just really interesting. What do you think about his him? His character is really interesting, and I do feel like I've seen it other places before, but I'm not sure how archetypal it is. Yeah. I feel like I've seen the dad who has done something wrong in his life and lost a child in some manner. Sometimes that's like, I don't know, who has lost a child, whether they're dead or just they don't talk to them anymore, mm-hmm. and then decides to pursue some other project to make that right. But I'm not sure if that's like an archetype. I'm not sure if it's widely used enough to be an archetype. That's fair. He definitely was trying to parent them. Yeah. Or at least trying to take care of them. But also he was just, like, so wise. Like, he could, it felt like he was seeing into their souls, you know, because he really got them to bear everything about their personalities and their pasts, which, Mm -hmm. you know, is just a good plot device, but also... That's true. It felt like he was more than apparent to them. Yeah, I think so. I think there, maybe there is something about, there's definitely something about age in this movie, and, like, that with age comes wisdom. For sure. Because kind of, kind of everyone that's older than them is smarter than them. Yeah. Even though they kill those guys. But they're even the guys, like, kind of get them a little bit. That's fair. That's fair. I just really liked him. Like, I thought that James Gandolfini was the best part. He was so good in this movie. And I know that he, some man called him someday and said, hey, I need you to do this favor for a friend. Like, I know that this man was not excited to shoot Violet and Daisy, but I'm so glad that he did. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was the best part of this movie. Honestly, yeah. I mean, he's what he's what gave it such good vibes. Is like he gave it the camp, the like the coziness because mm-hmm. he put a blanket on them and he like fed them cookies and he gave them milk to drink and they got the little got milk mustache because this was paid for by the the milk lobby. <laughs> and uh, 
yeah, I just really liked him. And I think that he opens a lot of questions in this movie about, like, the role of parenting and what parent like what good parents should be i thought that both girls very clearly had daddy issues you commented to me that this film is for girls with daddy issues and i agree i don't know what other thoughts you have about that but i was very much questioning like where are their parents where is his daughter all this kind of stuff i think that almost like this movie might be a about the way that unchecked childhood like, about unchecked childhood, because, like, the reason they are the way they are is because no one has ever, like, looked out for them. Like, the importance of parents? Yeah. Okay. Right? Because, like, they are on this wild and crazy adventure because they seemingly do not have parents in their lives. Yeah. And then, like, when somebody is kind of like, hey, what if you didn't do this? Like, why are you doing this? Then they suddenly question, well, not Violet, but Daisy suddenly questions a lot of things. Right. And it it almost feels like a parent, like, intervening in some sort of peer pressure situation because, like, she doesn't kill people. She, you know, has this moral compass, but she's doing this because either she thinks that Violet needs her to or, like, she thinks that it'll make her, like, look cool or that it'll be fun or whatever. Yeah. And, I don't know, it makes you wonder, like, how she even fell into assassinating since she has never killed anyone. I was also deeply confused about that. Like, how did she just meet Violet out there? Yeah, so I definitely feel like parents are important. And you should mend your relationship with your parents, is what this movie is trying to say. Otherwise you'll become an assassin. Otherwise you'll (laughs) become an assassin. Except that, also, I think that it recognizes that that's a corny message, because it's so, so absurd. Like, the movie is so absurd. Do you think that Daisy becomes a parent to April? Because, like, April being his daughter. Because she gives him, she, she gives from him to April, like, the Barbie Sunday dress the letter and the photograph Mm -hmm. and it feels completing that relationship like giving april closure i think that she gives april closure she may even like mend that relationship with april but she's not april's parent right mostly like do you think that she's fulfilling james gandolfini's last bit of parenting yes yeah but i don't think through any kind of like surrogate parent like they're they don't have a relationship she's just like hey this is from your dad like Like, I'm out. Yeah. It's not like he's like, take care of my girl, and like they're friends for the rest of their lives or anything like that. It's like she is like, wow, I wish that this person that I care about had this opportunity to fix this relationship. I'm going to go fix it really quick for him and then never think about it again. <laughs> I guess while we're on the topic of April, I want to return really fast to the question of whether this movie is anti-girl because it definitely does not feel that it is anti-April, you know? Yeah. I just feel like she's kind of seen as this paragon of girlhood, right? She's going to school. She. I think that April is like aspirational like I think that she's what everyone is like she represents good yeah right like James Gandolfini is like what makes him regret his biggest regret in life is like straying from being her dad right like failing her but she's not a stereotype whereas everyone else is Mm -hmm. well definitely violent she's just she's just not you think they're stereotypes I think they are I think they're like your stereotype of a teen girl but they kill people (laughs) So? And not in, like, a, I don't know. Okay, whatever. Fine. I think she's a stereotype, too. Okay. She goes to private school, she's very straight-laced, and she's got a good head on her shoulders. I think she's just, like, if we're gonna, if we're gonna play it like that, she's just, like, everyone's daughter. You're like, right, I don't I know. Maybe, maybe I'm being too defensive. Do you think that, okay, so you don't agree that there's stereotypes, but I think that... No, I think that they're stereotypical 
for sure. Okay. I don't think that they like each represent different types of femininity. No, I don't think that they the represent same. the same type of femininity either. If they were both stereotypes, they couldn't both be main characters, is okay. how I feel. That's fair. But I think they are stereotypical in many ways. I think that their being stereotypically feminine kind of subvert, subverts the action genre, like, but not enough to make it good. <laughs> yeah, okay. I have a couple of thoughts about the symbols in this movie. There were a lot of planes. I don't have that many thoughts about it other than that there were so many planes. But at the same time, I felt that Violet, not Daisy, just Violet, was kind of being watched when she was out on her bullet gathering mission we saw number one watching her a lot and one of the things that kind of like triggered this in my mind is that one time when she's having her little mental breakdown behind the dumpster as she sees those other assassins she like looks up or she gets a call on the phone and she looks up and there's this sign that says the hardware shop you're looking for is just around the corner and this is the sign that she's been looking for. Very much about, like, divine intervention with Violet. Like, she was being watched by, number one, by the planes, by this sign, by God. I don't know, to judge her for killing people. It's really weird because it almost feels like they suck at their job. Like, it almost feel like feels like they just fall into whatever they need. Mm-hmm. Especially with the, the hardware store you're looking for is right around the corner. And like that they just happen to go kill this guy and fall asleep on his couch and he doesn't kill them. Like they just happen to get this job where he actually wants them to kill him. Like yeah. so, which is I think part of like the absurdity probably. But yeah, I and like which is another reason that I don't like Violet's character because we're supposed to believe that she's just like such a good assassin. And everyone loves Violet, and we should all listen to Violet, because she's the best assassin of all of them. But I'm like, she's a terrible assassin. She did not bring enough bullets yes. to the, <laughs> to kill this man, and then she had to go get more bullets. And then, like, on top of that, she was unsuccessful. Like, she did not get enough bullets from her trip to the bullet store. So yeah, they have to go back to the bullet store so, again. She just really makes me mad, and I think that it's because of her whole Holden Caulfield vibe, but... I, yeah, I don't know. I think that there might be a little bit also, not just to planes, but to doors. There were a lot of doors in this movie. Not many of them were on screen, but like both, both of our assassins go through kind of a door in which they like walk into a white, a white light. Mm-hmm. Like Violet walks into a white light at the hardware store and Daisy does it at the, at the apartment. And they both kind of look like they're walking into the light because they're like getting enlightenment, like they're walking into... A very very stark heavenly lighting and particularly when daisy does it she's kind of walking at a canted angle so it's everything that she's learning about herself is wrong yeah i wish i could tell you what i thought violet was being enlightened with though Nothing. like i agree that when daisy walks in she's like changing like she's walking into a new era of self or whatever much like taylor swift <laughs> well she's walking into a new era um but I don't know, I don't perceive Violet to change at all throughout this film. She does feel very static. And, like, I feel like that's why, at the end of the movie, we find out that they aren't friends anymore. They, like, go buy their little dress, and then they go their separate ways, presumably because they do not live together, and they, like, have separate lives now. And this was just a cute little reunion moment. But I feel like that's probably why, is because, kind of, Daisy outgrows Violet, and Violet is kind of this character that's, like, doomed to be stuck in the position she's in. Yeah, on the topic of symbols, I thought one other symbol that really popped out at me in this movie, and there were not very many, is that their names were both flowers, and 
it appears that Violet's old partner was named Rose because she has a rose tattoo. And and when she's in like her heaven flashback or whatever, or when she's having a dream, she imagines heaven as like playing La Vie on Rose, that song. Mm-hmm. And she has like a flashback situation where she like sees, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. We learn about her past through like a weird trippy dream sequence. Yeah, there's something about the plane, right? Like the plane crashes. Somebody dies in a plane crash. That's what the planes mean. Really? Right? Because then Daisy is in the flight attendant outfit in yeah. the dream. Man. She's got something with a pl- I think that maybe the partner dies in like a plane crash adjacent like the, it's the plane crash and then the partner dies. Like oh, how crazy. I did not pick up on that at all. Did not paying attention. Okay, that's that fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> yeah, but the planes are be- because someone died in a plane crash. I don't remember if it was her parents or her partner. I think you're right. I think she- if she didn't kill her partner, she feels responsible for her partner's death. So, like, okay, same yeah. reading. Like, she ki- in her brain, she killed her partner. And the planes are about some sort of plane trauma that she has. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, on the flowers, on the subject of flowers, I feel like that, that, I don't know, maybe it's not boring to other people. But very boringly, they just represent womanhood and femininity. Yeah. I agree. I agree that it's a very boring symbol, but it is the only other one that I really picked up on. I don't really have that much more to say about this movie. Really? All right, Alexandra. The people know how I feel. <laughs> they do, yeah. You gave it a four out of five, didn't you? <laughs> I just love that. That's it. so strong. Everything about it, I was like, I can't believe that this is happening right now. I'm obsessed. I'd watch it again right now. I'd watch it. I'd start all over right again. I but would, how did you feel? I would watch it again under duress. Uh, like, I think, I think I might watch it again <laughs> if you were watching it. But really, this was maybe a two, maybe a 2.5 for me. Just because, like, so many parts of it were so weird, and I only really liked James Gandolfini and, like, parts of the dialogue. I'm really proud of you for sticking to your guns, because when you started that sentence, I thought that you were going to lie to the people, and you were going to tell them that you thought it was a three or a four out of no, five stars. No, I would but... not. No, this movie was not, not, worth, not worth watching. All right, now let's rate Saoirse Ronan. Better. Definitely better than the movie. I think I would give her a four out okay. of five. Because I think she played the comedy really well, and it was new and different for her. Yeah. I think I am going to give her a four, too. I briefly thought about giving her a five, but then I think I just got really excited about how much I liked this movie more than you. But, um, (laughs) no, I think it was a four. I think that I know that there are better movies that she has done. She did a really good job here. But also, this was, like... She did a really good job here, despite the fact that, like, this is not her usual vibe. So, and like, despite, like, everything about the movie that was bad. Like, yeah. she really, she carried a bad script. She mm-hmm. she carried kind of a bad plot. And it worked. Yeah. 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 Okay. Any, any credits for us today? I'd like to thank James Gandolfini. Yes. For being perfect mm-hmm. for playing Cozy Scumbag. Not a scumbag, just cozy. No, but he, like, he, he, he's greasy, like, to borrow Stevie's word. <laughs> Shout out, Stevie. You'll never listen to this podcast, but we love you. Um, yeah, he's greasy, and I feel like that's important, like, because he's, we know he has, like, a troubled past. Yeah, so he has committed crimes. Yes, but I love James Gandolfini. Well, tune in next week for our, our next movie, which is in 2012. Thanks. <laughs>